Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. October 8th. We're in it now. The month yeah. hasn't just begun. The month is well underway. Yeah, this is we're we're real deal Halloween season right now. Like the Halloween cities are up. They took over the old Toys R Us and put a Halloween city. The Halloween Expresses are up. Yeah, and like the Halloween stuff is already on sale. If uh, you go to like Joanne Fabrics yeah. or any of the places, it's already like half off. Right. So get everybody get out there go. now. If, if you were late in your decorations, now is the, the time good stuff to will be gone soon. So go out and do it. So anyway, we did a little Halloweeny thing on on Friday night a little bit. We told ghost stories in the Wisconsin Dells. That was really fun. It was, and so there there'll be a haunted history tour in the Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin's number one tourist destination. It's got some pretty sordid history, doesn't it, Mike? It does have some sordid history. Come to find out. Coming to find out. WisconsinDellsGhosts.com is going to be the site for that when it gets up there when we do the site. So we were uh, doing a little bit of ghost investigating, checking places out on Friday night. And did you guys do any more paranormal stuff this weekend? So yeah, Friday night, went up to the Dells with our good friend here, Scott Marcus. That's me. Hi, yes, Scott. Yes, and he's joining <laughs> us here today as well. And he is from What'sYourGhostStory.com, the author of... Voices from the Chicago Grave, and uh, and and of course, director. How I met you guys initially uh, uh, directed the Hidden Truth about the lacrosse drownings and the paranormal investigation behind that. So yeah, Scott and I went up, met Mike in the Dells, and we were treated to the history of the Wisconsin Dells and the haunted stories behind it. And it was really interesting. I learned a lot about some uh, some of the folklore of the area, some of the tales of how the city was founded, and some of the you know spooky things around. The things that are still lingering. Yes. Those old days of yore. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to give away the story, but I was very excited. And, and I want to make plans for the future to go camping on this little haunted island that, as you described it, I just had in my head that it used to have the Wisconsin Dells version of One-Eyed Jacks from <laughs> Twin Peaks oh, yeah. out on this little island. And uh, now there's maybe some ruins, hopefully, but uh, definitely a place for people to camp and see and, some lumberjack ghosts. And ghosties. That's yes. right. Yes. So Black Hawk <laughs> Island is a um, place, a paranormal campground near the Wisconsin Dells. So that was a lot of fun. And we will be talking a lot about the times of yore today. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. But we're going to fast forward to the future real quick, to this upcoming weekend. The not-too-distant future. That's right. So if you're listening to it this week, this is the second week of October in 2018. We're going to be at the Shooting Star Paracon in, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Manoman, Minnesota? Manoman? I'm not sure, but we're going to have to be making a lot of wishes because we'll be at the Shooting Star <laughs> for more than three days, right? Yes. Well, I'm I'm hoping that uh, my gambling streak that went so well, at, your paranormal gambling streak. You're quite good. You're you're very successful at these things, Mike. Well, I gotta say, okay, we stayed at the Pottawatomie Casino after we played at the River West Commons in Milwaukee. Yeah, for the Milwaukee Paracon. Yeah, and I think I made like 150 bucks that night, and so I scored 300 bucks at the Kewaden Casino in Sault Ste. Marie, and I'm hoping to have paranormally good luck at the Shooting Star Casino this weekend. And a year ago, at the uh, up in Sault Ste. Marie, the Orange is the New Black machine treated you well. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yes, it was. Yeah, Mike vanished mysteriously. <laughs> we thought something paranormal happened to him, and then he came back in this awesome mood, like, all right, next round's on me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This year, it was the Walking Dead machine uh, in Sault Ste. Marie, and Dwight from The Walking Dead is going to be mm -hmm. uh, at the Paracon this weekend. So I'm looking forward. So anyway, if you guys are going to be there, like Dave Schrader's the MC, uh, Nick Redfern, who's been on the show, will be there. Lauren Coleman, who's been on the show, will be there. And we will have a booth in the vendor area, the See You on the Other Side booth. And it's going to be fun. We're trying something new. We have three paranormal quests for you to undertake. And the reward isn't just in doing. The reward is an actual reward. It is. <laughs> we right. have fabulous prizes for you to win at our booth. So come over and say hi. Take a stab at the quest. Win a prize. Yes. And uh, most importantly, just say hello to us because we love meeting new people. Making yeah, new paranormal pals. 
right? And especially meeting people who listen to the show. So I feel like, you know, sometimes you, you feel like you're just screaming into the vortex here of the internet. <laughs> and so when we get to meet people at live events, it really changes everything. Um, and it, it gets to put faces to names. And we've been able to do that a lot over the past couple of years. And it's a treat if we get to do it again. So if this is the first episode you're listening and we just met you at the Minnesota Paracon and this is in the past instead of the future, <laughs> hello again. Hello. <laughs> so... Anyway, so yeah. please please come visit us. Uh, we have some awesome prizes for you, and we're going to have fun at the See You on the Other Side uh, podcast booth, and we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. Scott's going to be talking about his book. I'm going to be talking about the ghost walks in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Stillwater, Minnesota, and Wendy's going to be regaling you with uh, fun talk of pod- the podcast adventures. <laughs> so come visit us this weekend. All right. Now, it's not only uh, the second week of October, October 8th is also a particular anniversary. So we're celebrating an anniversary? Well, we're kind of, well, I don't know, celebrating is the is yeah. the word we want to use. But it, we are remembering an anniversary. We are commemorating. Commemorating, commemorating an anniversary of, uh, well, all the fires that happened across the upper Midwest on October 8th, 1871. And it's interesting enough that I had never heard of the Great Chicago Fire until I went to like the Water Tower in Chicago, and they have a little museum dedicated to the fire inside. And, and how old were you at this point? Five or six. Okay. He said, I'd never heard of. As I, if, I, that's know. true. Yeah. Like For was, those whole five years, yeah. you did not I was know about it. So long. <laughs> no, and, you know, Allison, my sister, who I was hoping would join us tonight, but she, she wasn't able to make it. Um, I believe she used to have, uh, like, a night shirt from like you know how girls wear shirts that, or they used to wear shirts that are like come down to their knees or whatever to sleep in. Sure, uh, a nightgown. A night, yeah, a nightgown, but it was like a night t-shirt. Um, I believe she had one of like Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicking the lantern over that we got at the water tower. <laughs> That's cute. And we'll, gotcha. Uh, little souvenir. We'll get. To the, I, I wasn't sure if it was like produced in Wisconsin is the kind of a ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> right, your place went on fire. But if you guys don't know what you're talking about, so on October 8th, 1871, we get these horrible fires across the Midwest. Now, Chicago is the most famous one because it, I mean, it annihilated the city mm-hmm. um, and 300 people died and 100,000 people were homeless. And it was yeah. pretty crazy. In Peshtigo, Wisconsin, they had the Great Peshtigo Fire happen on the same night. And, you know, I'm reading some stuff from these 19, this 1956 article written in American Heritage magazine. And the people of Peshtigo, uh, the survivors that they talked to, even, you know, 80 years later, the, were pretty bitter about, <laughs> about the fact that <laughs> no one remembers this tragedy. Because Pesht- while 300 people died in the Chicago Fire, the estimate is over at least... 1100 and maybe up to 2500 in the great peshtigo fire absurd you know it's just an astounding number that you you can't even conceptualize really it's such a big amount of loss yeah it was i mean it was a whole town i'm not i'm not everybody not everybody in town died but but darn close to yes darn close and then also across lake michigan the same night holland michigan burned to the ground and i spent a summer in holland michigan in 1989 and so I was like, oh, man, I know Holland, Michigan. I mean, obviously, it was 29 years ago. So I was looking for different ghost stories that may be related to the, the Holland fire that, you know, burned the whole city down. But it was Dutch settlers in Holland. And even in 1989, when I was there, everybody had a van in their name. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, man. I went to, like, some kind of sports camp with these kids, and I was the only guy from out of town. And all it did was pick on me. Anyway. Well, that's got to be a very vulnerable town because, like, even their shoes were wooden, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, gosh. Hey! <laughs> so that and then a couple other Michigan towns burnt down too. And so they didn't have as many deaths as Wisconsin and Chicago did. But it certainly affected them because I mean, the whole town burned and everything has been rebuilt and that area had to be rebuilt. So the thing is you have three different areas that have huge fires all on the same day. So that's weird. Coincidence? Hmm. Well, in 1883... There is a, a Minnesota politician by the name of Ignatius Donnelly. You got to take him serious. Yes. He's a Viking. <laughs> Ignatius Donnelly, Minnesota politician. And he writes this book called Ragnarok, The Age of Fire and Gravel. That's yeah. an album cover waiting yeah. to happen. <laughs> right. Totally. R- and, Ragnarok, R-O-C-K, right? <laughs> 
it should be Ragnarok. Um, like just spelled like that. But no, it's spelled R-A-G-N-A-R-O-K. Boring. But if you guys don't <laughs> if you guys don't know what Ragnarok is, Ragnarok is the end of the world in Norse mythology. So uh, Ragnarok is when Valhalla falls. And you know, they made that Thor movie, Ragnarok. They they use that word for the fourth Thor movie. And uh, the the book, The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul by Douglas Adams, you know, it's, it's all about Ragnarok and the, and the Norse gods. But it's, so it's the end of the line for Norse mythology is where Thor dies, Fenris and his wolves eat the entire planet, everything gets destroyed and starts over. And, you know, Ragnarok was also a fairly popular occult idea in the late 19th century because it also related to uh, some of the like the ancient uh, Indian, East Indian, not like American Indian, but East Indian traditions that the world kind of resets itself every few millennia or something. So everything dies and starts over again. And we talked about that in our episode with Gary Lockman, and we had a song called The Night of the Universe, which is about that that time that it resets itself. And so Ragnarok was a popular uh, this idea that the universe will eventually be destroyed and recreated was like a popular occult theme. Sure. Uh, I heard that start to come back up. The first time I think I ever heard the term Ragnarok was around, you know, December 21st or tw- yeah, 21st, uh, 2012, when everybody was end of the Mayan calendar. Like, oh, maybe this ties in with North mythology. People were stretching. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, one of Mike's lyrics in the Sunspot song entitled 2012 this talks about uh, Ragnar rocked and rolled. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right? Yes, that, that, that is exactly right. I forgot in 2012. And I first heard of Ragnarok from an episode of The Real Ghostbusters. Nice. Yes. So the reason I kind of want to bring that up was because Ignatius Donnelly not only wrote this book uh, that's Ragnarok, he also is the guy that kind of created our modern idea of Atlantis in a book in 1882. Wow. He's got some cred. Yeah, so Madame Blavatsky, um, Helena Blavatsky, who was a big theosophical thinker in the late 19th century, her and Ignatius like wrote letters and like she used some of his uh, work in her work and it was like their own kind of paranormal circle. And so he was part of it and he talks about these fires that happened, the Great Peshtigo Fire, the Chicago Fire and the fires in Michigan. And he suggests that the reason the fires started were that a meteor shower came down And the different meteors started fires in the area because they all hit that same area in the upper Midwest. And the reason he thinks that is because there was a a comet discovered in 1826, um, Comet Biela, B-I-E-L-A. Once again, I never know if I'm pronouncing anything correctly, but it's um, named after like the Austrian guy that found it. Okay. It's it's Comet Beelzebub is what it (laughs) sounded like. Well, if it sets the world up for well, the thing is, is that, so the comet comes by every six years, starts in 1826 and comes by every six years. In 1854, they noticed the comet splits into two. Ah. So the, the comet starts splitting in 1854. And then in 1872, it doesn't show up. Hmm. So so it's burned up into the atmosphere? Or? Well, their, uh, Ignatius Donnelly's idea was that the comet had broken apart. Yeah. And so as we were passing through the debris of the comet, the meteors came down, and that's what started the Great Fire of Chicago and <laughs> Peshtigo and Michigan. I thought that this was like a modern theory, because I first heard about that in like 2005. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's... Because like, people talk about comets and meteors and everything. The 19th century just feels like, it should, you know, shouldn't you be talking about horses and stuff? <laughs> you know? Uh, the cow kicking over the lantern and all that kind of... <laughs> it's much more an appropriate kind of idea. Yes. Of how the, folksy. <laughs> how the fire started. So Donnelly posits this theory in his book, Ragnarok, The Age of Fire and Gravel. And the thing is, is people take it seriously for a little while until scientists come out and say, well, when you see a meteorite like burning up in the atmosphere, by the time it hits the ground, it's cold. But if it's a big enough piece, well, right, then but- it would still... Be burning? I don't know. Well, some I mean, some people have said that if it's if it's more than a pound, if the meteorite hits the ground and it's more than a pound, then it's going to be still hot. But it still isn't going to be because it's only like the the very outer covering of the meteorite that uh, burns up in the atmosphere. Like the one millimeter around it is on fire. Yeah. When it's it's ice because it comes when it lands, it's mostly ice. 
So that's why scientists are like, it's not going to, you know, they don't buy the whole uh, thing. But in 1985, the theory got popular again when this guy wrote a book. Hold on, let me find the name of the book here. Allison actually owns this particular great book. It's called Mrs. O'Leary's Comet <laughs> by Mel Waskin. Mrs. O'Leary's Comet uh, is the name of it. And he continues to say that, you know, he thinks that Comet Biela broke up. We went through the debris and that debris is what started the fire. And yet again, Mrs. O'Leary takes the blame. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing about this is, is that one of the reasons people say it probably is a meteor shower or they're arguing that it's a meteor shower is because people talked about how it wasn't very windy that particular day, October 8th, 1871. It's not windy at all. Everything's super dry already. You have a summer, you have an entire summer where there were a ton of fires already happening, like popping up. Mm -hmm. And what I think is interesting is the Green Island Light near Green Bay. So Peshtigo, Wisconsin is way up north in Wisconsin. We drove through it on our way to Sault Ste. Marie That's right. for the Michigan Paracon. That's right. And so it's getting, when you get up into upper Michigan, it's almost a upper Michigan. And so it's way up north. And it's not that far away from Green Bay, Wisconsin. And there's a lighthouse in Green Bay, like off the, off the coast, called Green Island. And the Green Island light that summer was already on 24 hours a day. So there were enough fires happening already that there was enough smoke near Green Bay wow. for the Green Island light to be on 24 hours a day. But the reason that people say that they think it had to be a meteor, though, was because no wind. So how did it spread? How did it spread so fast? They were saying it's got to be different pieces hitting the ground. And in 2005, this guy came out with a paper, once again, saying it was a meteorite. And he goes back a little bit to Ignatius's book. He goes to Wes's book and returns and says, like, yeah, this, you know, this horrible thing uh, had to be caused by a meteorite. And then what happens is... Scientists come back again <laughs> and say, no, probably not. And this idea that it had to be from outer space, this fire. One of the other reasons is, is that the fire was so horrific that people thought it, it wasn't a normal kind of blaze. Not your average everyday uh, thing not, that they were used to there. Yeah, not your everyday. Like they've had forest fires up there and they had fires all the time that summer. So why was this fire the worst one? They were already used to it. They were having controlled fires all the time, too. The whole term slash and burn, that's how they were clearing up mm -hmm. the land as they were developing up north, was through that. So they were used to, like, so how did all of a sudden we get a fire that was completely uncontrollable? And that's because they didn't know what yet what the, co uh, the concept of a firestorm was. And I really didn't know what the concept of a firestorm was. Like, I'd never really even heard of it before. I've heard the word firestorm because it's like a comic book character's name. And it's kind of like <laughs> a, a badass word you use. You're like, dude, yeah, it's going to be a Like, this, this show's nice to be so hot. It's going to be a firestorm, baby. <laughs> Sounds like a sports announcer kind of term. Yeah. yeah I was just going to say, the Rockies, they, they ran into a firestorm when they <laughs> hit the Brewers today. <laughs> right. So you're like, what's a firestorm mean? I mean, uh, a firestorm is an, an actual thing. And they didn't really discover... Uh, or as far as they didn't really understand it very well until World War II when they were purposely creating firestorms in Dresden and Tokyo and Hamburg during the Second World War. So, I mean, a firestorm is literally where like, you get a tornado of fire, a tornado of flame, mm -hmm. and the, the heat is so bad around it that it just starts igniting other things in the flame. Because a lot of the firestorm, like so it pushes out irradiated heat. Like the, so the fire, it's so hot that it pushes out irradiated heat and then things, you know, yards just away. Burst into flame. Yeah, just, just, just burst into flame without touching other flames. So like when I yeah. think about how a fire spreads, you'd be like, well, if it's windy, it's going to spread the fire nor'easter, wherever the wind goes, you know? <laughs> but... Uh, with the firestorm, the infrared radiation is so gnarly, and it creates its own wind. So, th I mean, to them, it, was, it seemed like a supernatural kind of fire because it, it created its own. It was a nobody ever experienced anything like that before, at least not in the modern age, and had written all that stuff down. And we have eyewitness accounts, and uh, the Peshtigo fire, particularly, is terrifying because you know either you're suffocating from all the smoke. Or you have to jump into the Peshtigo River because the Peshtigo River went right through the middle of town. And so the smoke's rising, everything's on fire, you jump in the river, but it's October. And yes. Right in the 1800s, like people died of hypothermia. Yeah, isn't that incredible? 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. How scary, too. I mean, you're running away from all of your friends and family that are burning up, and then you run into the river where you see all your other friends freezing to death. Yeah, it, it's a it's a nightmare, obviously. And, you know, when I'm reading people's, like, firsthand accounts of the fire, and, they're, and they, you know, they're just... It's all talking about like they jump in, they like a nine-year-old girl, uh, you know, she's she's in the river like clinging onto logs, and her mother and her sister, um, they they dump their heads because there's ribbons of fire like stretching out over the river, and so they're dunking down as the fire goes above their heads. They come back up to breathe, come back down, and so it's like the end of Titanic or whatever. Is there a spoiler? You know. <laughs> What? Yeah, Wait, no. But you know, you're in the freezing water, and so like the buildings just like it vomited fire. Like, the, like one of the quotes is like vomits a torrent of fire in the form of thousands of blazing tubs and buckets and handles and clothespins, like flying through the night when it hits a factory. So like the firestorm takes stuff up and throws it around. It throws out stuff from the factory. It throws up trees. It's I mean, it didn't have cars or whatever, but it's throwing up carriages at people. And so not only is stuff on fire, not only are people like refugee status in the water ducking away, they got a duck from the fire, they got a duck from missiles being thrown over their heads. I feel like that's the, the kind of the trademark of how disasters really work. Like it's not just the one very obvious threat. Like I think about the, the Eastland disaster in Chicago where like 800, around 900 people drown in the Chicago River in one day in July when it would be a nice day to go for a swim. But, right. you know, they happen to be in a capsized boat and unable to get out from within this boat. Or you look at like a theater fire. OK, yes, yeah, so you think the fire is the issue. But no, the issue is that they had the the doors chained shut to make sure that nobody snuck in from outside. So it's it's never just the one threat that leads to these like really the most horrific stories that we've experienced as, I don't know, humanity, I guess. <laughs> right. it's, it's these other extenuating circumstances, in this case, the water, the cold, cold water. Well, and, and people talk about the fire in, in Peshtigo that it, was, it, it wasn't just like, oh my God, the fire's spreading, it's coming towards us. It was like you walk outside and... You know, you could see a tornado of fire above the trees and a whirlwind of flame and great clouds above the tops of the trees fell upon us and entirely enveloped everything. Um, people talked about it like it was the end of the world. To them, it felt like... Well, yeah. To, it, to over a thousand per people, it was. <laughs> right. And when it's coming at you that quickly, you don't even stand a chance to run away. I mean, it's just, that's it. You tur- You open the door and there's the end waiting for you. It came in great sheeted flames from heaven. There was a pitiless rain of fire and sand. The atmosphere was on fire. Great balls of fire unrolling and shooting forth in streams, leaping over roofs and trees, igniting whole streets at once. And a lot of the people that were found, I mean, he, so in Donnelly's book, he talks about his people that were found. A lot of the victims huddled together, thinking it's a super safe place, which is really sad because they, you know, everybody's hugging or trying to, you know, protect each other from the fire. But what happened is they just suffocated to death because of the the smoke. So they weren't even burned. You know, a lot of the people weren't even burned. And so many of the bodies, like the reason they don't even have accurate numbers for the Great Peshtigo Fire was because all the people that could identify the people were the people who were dead. Were dead. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a night, you know, this whole thing is a nightmare. And people are looking for some, like this can't be a natural thing. Right. This has to be something not necessarily supernatural, but it's coming from heaven above. You almost want an alternate explanation for it because it's so extreme that you don't want to think like, oh, this could just happen. Right. You have a summer where they have a quarter the amount of rainfall that is usual for Wisconsin. So the court. So you have hardly any rainfall. It's a drought. Everything's super dry. People are already starting and controlling fires all the time in Peshtigo. And it's just a perfect story. <laughs> It's the perfect firestorm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you guys aren't familiar uh, with Chicago folklore, the famous thing. So, Scott, why don't you tell that story? I'm not from Illinois, so I feel like I cannot, uh, I don't have the right to tell the story. 
Um, well, at least not in my presence. But, no. <laughs> you know, what's what's the story behind the Chicago fire? Because that one has a legendary origin. Sure. Well, you were talking about the lack of rain in Wisconsin. Obviously, Chicago is not that far away. Uh, Chicago had only had one inch of rainfall between the 4th of July and here, October 8th. So that is that heck of a drought. And it, it's really fascinating because at that time, uh, Joseph Medill, who created the Chicago Tribune, uh, and was you know still alive at this time and was the editor in chief. They had columns going out, editorials coming out left and right, saying we are vulnerable, we we are just in danger and we won't be able to stop it if something goes wrong. Now you know most uh, newspapermen know how to sell a paper or two, so <laughs> right. his, but 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 this is a case where the his end of the world preaching actually did. Uh, end up coming to fruition it's also a time period where sidewalks were made out of wood streets were made out of wood literally the entire city was made out of wood and that's actually amazing that to this day there's still a couple of alleyways in chicago that are made from wood and they exist from the pre-fire days so some of the stuff that didn't burn still does exist and it's made out of wood and i don't know i'm just always blown away by that. Maybe more amazing that it survived the Great Chicago Fire, but it survived all of these winters, too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But uh, downtown Chicago, one of the big landmarks of the city is the old water tower. It's this stone, gothic, kind of castle-looking, temple-looking, I suppose you would say, because it's it's very Mm -hmm. tall and narrow. Water tower, and across the street from it on Michigan Avenue, so right in the heart of the city, right across from the Hancock Tower is the pumping station. And so those were put up in 1869, so just two years before the fire hit. And I'd say the most famous, really the only known ghost story that we have associated with the Great Chicago Fire is people will see the silhouette of a person hanging in the windows at the top of the water tower. And the theory is, the popular theory is that this is somebody who is manning the the pump house, trying to, or manning the the water tower, trying to continue to feed water to the people that were battling the fire. They were pumping away so hard. (laughs) They were. (laughs) <laughs> and, of course, they were not going to abandon their post because maybe this person was the last line of defense over losing the city altogether. So they worked until it was too late to, for their own escape and then seeing the reality. And, and of course, at 3.30 in the morning on this night, the, the, the roof caves in across the street. So now they're out of commission and they're trapped. So their fate is sealed, basically. They will die. So how do you want to die? Do you want to just wait for the flames to take you because you can't escape? You're going to boil alive. Or do you take matter into your own hands and hang yourself? And, and that's what this person allegedly did. And that's why we're seeing the residual haunting of a hanging body in the upper windows. There are also uh, rumors as well that after the Great Chicago Fire happened, that there was looting throughout the city. And maybe this was a looter that was captured and brought to justice right then and there. However, uh, and this is misreported a lot, uh, Chicago was very well taken care of from a security standpoint. And I find this fascinating to think about the time period we're, we're looking at. We're talking about the early 1870s. We are not very far removed from the Civil War. Right. And so we had a Civil War hero, uh, Lieutenant General Philip Sheridan, which there's a big fort. Now it's a condo complex. <laughs> that's, that's progress. Uh, there's this big military fort called Fort Sheridan on, the, on uh, the coast of Lake Michigan. And when the fire broke out, Philip Sheridan marched his troops from the fort into the city to try to keep as much order as he could. And now the path he took is called Sheridan Road, which is, I, as a local that grew up driving down Sheridan Road, never even thinking about why is this called that, I don't know, that, was, that blew me away when I first learned about that. But so there actually wasn't any looting, so that dispels the idea that it was some outlaw that was hanging. But really, we don't know for sure if the story that backs up why people are seeing a hanging person in that window, if that relates to that at all. Okay. I didn't know the guy hung himself because of the, like, I, I just thought like they, um, you know, they had seen shadow fingers inside the, the water tower. I didn't realize there's a guy hung himself out of desperation because he didn't want to be burned alive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, that's when I was researching the book. That's the story I came across. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Well, I mean, I don't like it obviously because the guy hung himself, but I mean, I like it. I'll be honest. Um, you know, but I, I always thought it was funny because like we were told a joke before that my sister had like a, a nightshirt with like Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicking over a, you know, yeah. kicking over the lantern. But that whole, you know, urban legend 
that it's Mrs. O'Leary. She's got a cottage on the west side of Chicago. And then, you know, she's milking her cow late at night. And then the cow kicks over the lantern and starts the fire. And it goes, I mean, number one, that's always going to be ridiculous. Right. I mean, that's what insomniacs did back then. Like nowadays, we just read articles on our smartphones. But when you can't sleep, you go milk the cow. (laughs) Yeah. And like she even had to defend herself and say like, but, you know, I, I don't even milk after dark. It's not what I do. (laughs) But it's that generally is is thought to be some anti-Irish racism that that came out after the fire. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, Uh, sure. Right. Because like, you know, just like in Blazing Saddles. When they, you know, they tell you like the people that can show mm-hmm. up, it's like, okay, well, we'll take the black guys, we'll take the Chinese, but no Irish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's something interesting that I was reading about, though, when I was looking at stuff for the Chicago fire that I didn't know before. So I always thought about Mrs. O'Leary's story, and obviously that was Lota Hui, but this guy named Louis Cohn. Language, Mike, language. I know, I'm throwing <laughs> it out here. This is a family-friendly podcast, come on. <laughs> this guy named Louis Cohn, who died in 1942, he's 18 when the fire breaks out. And his will contained a public confession that it was him and Mrs. O'Leary's son, along with a couple other guys, they were gambling in the hayloft of the barn, and uh, one of the guys knocked the lantern over while they were gambling. Hmm. And so he, see what that'll do for you. Don't gamble. Don't gamble. Well, oh no! That's and I'm the bad. guy. I'm the After guy. we gave oh. the pro gambling endorsement at the beginning, <laughs> Mike, what kind of trouble are you causing? Right. Do not burn down Minnesota next weekend. <laughs> What's going to happen, Manoman, Minnesota? Set it, light it up. <laughs> no, but I mean, so he admitted in in his will that he said that we started the fire, and in fact, he said that when everybody else ran as the fire started, he grabbed everybody's money that was on the floor. Nice. Oh, wow. (laughs) Confession time, like, for real. (laughs) Yeah. He said, well, everybody else fled. He stopped long enough to scoop up the money. So, Lewis Cohen. He really believed that bit about having to get your sins off your chest, right? Yeah. But what what even is funnier is that I think a a local Chicago congressman or like a alderman in 1997 went so far as to exonerate Mrs. O'Leary, as the, like the public, the, you yeah. know, the, that he was, she was publicly forgiven. That's fair. Right, because it was that Lewis guy. I, I believe, and I'd have to look this up, the exact details, but I think uh, Miss O'Leary was even given a proclamation several years later uh, because the city of Chicago got a free reset. Maybe not a free, it cost a lot, but they got a reset because now they knew how big the city was. They could plan the streets better and all that. And the being able to wipe it out and rebuild allowed Chicago to be able to grow. So thanks, Mrs. O'Leary. Exactly. So she, I think she actually did get a, a bit of a, a commendation. After being cleared of any guilt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So, Miss, okay. So right now, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe it was a cow. So I'm putting my money in Lewis Cohen. But the thing is, I mean, even though that's tragic, you know, 300 people die in Chicago and it's a tragedy, uh, you know, Chicago rebuilds to be the, you know, the powerhouse it is today. The same does not happen in Peshtigo. Mm-hmm. So Peshtigo is 2,000 people in 1871. It's 3,500 people today, including Allison's brother-in-law lives in Peshtigo too. So she's been up there a bunch and she's been to the museum and the cemetery, I believe. I had a uh, family up there as well. Oh, you did? Okay. So do you, mm-hmm. have you been to the fire museum or anything like that? Actually, I haven't. No, I haven't. Okay. Well, that's gonna. We're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to go visit. <laughs> I'd love to. Because, definitely. well, they just have some mass graves. They have some mass graves in Peshtigo because no building survived. So they built the fire museum. They've got. I mean, hundreds of people died in the rest of Door County too. They have to have mass graves because they can't identify the bodies. And so the the actual the Peshtigo Fire Museum also has like a cemetery in the back, like a graveyard in the back. Oh wow! And so. The the fire museum closes on October eighth. So the, in, in memory of the Great Prestigo Fire, the place does close. But then, you know, they rebuilt the town. Obviously, it's still a small village, but they rebuilt it, and people are seeing shadowy figures that drift across the streets. And you know, they say that the victims of the Prestigo Fire. They talk about seeing glowing red lights in the cemetery, in the in the by the mass graves, um, a thick blue fog in the cemetery as well. People have also seen strange ghosts near Peshtigo, and particularly at the Great Peshtigo Fire Museum is where, you know, people have seen a lot of the weird stuff. So that seems to be, um, like, I mean, that is the defining, you know, moment of the town, really. I yeah. Mean, Change the course of its future. Right. And so people, when they go visit the Peshtigo Fire Museum, 
they'll say they hear like weird voices. They smell smoke. That also, that smelling smoke at a place where something burnt also happens at Taliesin, where Frank Lloyd Wright's family ah, was okay. killed. So if you guys don't know the story about Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect, Spring Green, Wisconsin, is where Frank Lloyd Wright had his majestic estate, Taliesin, uh, which in Welsh means shining brow. Um, <laughs> but it also is the name of a famous estate in Wales, too, so he probably just copied it. Because I'm like, why would he care about his shining brow? Yeah, um, get some powder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you're you're glowing, Frank. So, but the thing is, he had a former employee come back and like kill his wife and her kids at Taliesin. And what that guy did was that like he poured gasoline or kerosene or whatever in this is like 1913, and he he pours it under the door that they lock him out. He comes and he wants to hurt everybody. He pours it under the door. And then st- sets fire to the carpet, and so then the carpet, like un- like it starts under the door. Then the whole room starts on fire, and he goes by the window where the people are jumping out to escaping the fire, and then he hits them with a you know an axe and kills them. So horrible. Yeah, yeah, just total brutal murder. And so people, when they tour the new Taliesin, because it's, it's a spot now, they'll say sometimes they smell smoke. And that makes me think of, you know, how we talk about the stone tape and, and the, the recordings. Like there's, aud- you know, can, can audio recordings be saved in the walls? Can video recordings be saved in the walls? And that haunting apparitions, residual hauntings of, of things replaying each other. Can that also work for smells? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, the uh, Our Lady of the Angels is a horrible, tragic school fire that happened in Chicago. And there's... Oh boy, I can't remember. I think it was Queen of Heaven Cemetery. I'm trying to remember. That's wrong. But <laughs> there's a cemetery in Chicago that has a monument to it. And people say that they they smell smoke there. And so that's not even at the site where the fire happened. But when it comes to this kind of thing, I always like the Tulpa concepts that maybe people are going there, especially at that time, mourners, uh, family members that just lost their nieces or nephews, uh, sons and daughters, them being in this moment thinking about what they m- must have been going through. Uh, are they leaving a, a mark that we generations later are able to pick up on? Oh yeah, I, it, I think that's also interesting that you you know brought up the Tulpa concept. That like if we are using with you know, with with our heads, we're, we're we're thinking about these things so much that it now creates the haunting, and that that whole idea yeah. that hauntings come from us wanting to see like so much mental energy of wanting to see a haunting is uh, you know a whole new idea of what can we do with our brains. Right. Or just a a group of people all focused on the same concept of a tragedy or something. Everyone thinking about it so much that there's something going on there with the energy or whatever. Yeah. You're leaving a mark. But then the the thing that I find fascinating is that maybe later somebody else who has no idea, they're oblivious to what everybody else has been coming here for. They are then able to pick up on something our psychic abilities are picking up on what's left behind and we might not be knowledgeable about the location, but suddenly, wow, why do I smell smoke here? And then you research it and find out, oh my gosh, there's a connection to a fire. This must be a haunting. Well, and the thing is, even if it's not a ghost, it's still psychic. And that's pretty yes. cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so, you know, what I think is interesting about this particular day in history, October 8th, 1871, where these horrible fires happened, the tragedy in Pashtago and then Chicago and in Michigan, is that we have two different levels of uh, like weirdness here because sure it could be that we were passing through the debris of a broken comet Mm -hmm. and number one that already is like a Armageddon with Bruce Willis kind (laughs) of like kind of thing yeah (laughs) now there's a tragedy yeah that was but yeah the the fact that they're that close together they're all here in the Midwest you know it, it kind of would align with that the if a bunch of the debris just flew and landed in this region and it was already dry right and a theory popularized by the same guy who also popularized the theory of atlantis yeah (laughs) that's pretty cool that's pretty funny so we have that level of weirdness and then we have the level of weirdness of the ghost of these fires and the fact Mm -hmm. that like you were talking about there's a story about the chicago water tower which is a really cool building and i encourage you guys to visit it i had to visit it as bunch as a kid because my mom always won free tickets to the museum so like, I would encourage you guys to visit it as an adult. Don't bring your kids. Well, I would say now it's usually used as an art space. So they'll okay. have galleries in there, uh, whether it's photos or paintings or whatnot. Also, if you go there or when you go there, uh, keep this in mind. At the time of its construction, uh, so 1869, that was the tallest structure 
in the city of Chicago. And now you got it across the street from the Hancock Tower, which is 86 stories tall. And just this is nothing next to that. It's swallowed up by the uh, skyscrapers now. Yeah, it was funny is, is that a, a couple of the, uh, the paranormal people we know at the Chicago Paranormal Convention three years ago, um, Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio or Beyond the Darkness Now and Midnight in the Desert went as Mrs. O'Leary. Yes. Oh, yeah. And Jeff, right. Bel- and Jeff Belanger went as Mrs. O'Leary's cow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, pretty good. I, I got a lot of good video that night of them uh, singing a Nine Inch Nail song as a duet. <laughs> <laughs> I want to something you like an animal was uh, yeah, uh, what I the remember that. action was. <laughs> that was the night I remember also I was talking to Dave Schrader and he had done an interview with the guy from the, the Indiana Demon House the night before. Mm-hmm. So in the story of the Demon House, we can... If you guys look back, we've done a whole review of the Indiana Demon House movie that Zach Baggins produced so brilliantly earlier this year. (laughs) In that particular thing, the priest says that he was reading on the computer about a demon when his computer like shut off, but the printer kept on printing weird stuff. And he said he found the name of the demon that was inside the Demon House. Uh, which scores an eight on the demon scale, and, and we'll just see the uh, the Oscar nomination should be coming out soon, and <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> and and I, I I begged Dave to tell me the name of the demon, like when he was in his he's wearing his Mrs. O'Leary wig and stuff like that, and like we're drinking beers, and I'm like, Dave, dude, you just gotta tell me the name of that demon. He's like, I won't do it, I won't tell you. I'm like, why? He's like, because I'm scared, man. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, all right, Dave. Hey, you got to respect that. Yeah, no, he was too scared to tell me the name of the demon. So, you know, we have these uh, the haunted stuff in Chicago, and we also have a paranormal investigation done, and this was in 2014. You've got the Midwest Paranormal Investigative Network, and they are a northern Wisconsin-like paranormal group, and they did a... They were allowed to go into the, the Great Peshtigo Fire Museum and at the cemetery and stuff, and they were allowed to do a paranormal investigation. So let me read you a little bit about it. Scott, Vicky, and Jim, part of the team. They sound nice. Yes, they do sound nice. Like, we're, we're going to find some ghosts for you, everybody. <laughs> Visited several places in Peshtigo relevant to the tragedy and conducted numerous investigations throughout the day and night. And they did this in September of 2013. And then they posted the results of the investigation on October 8th, 2014. So that's where, that's where I got that number from. All right. Areas included the Peshtigo Fire Museum, which has relics from the fire and stuff from the time period, the mass grave sites. And then they went along the Peshtigo River where everybody ran, you know, and, and tried to escape from the fire and mm-hmm. jumped in. So they said they were pleasantly surprised with what they were able to capture. And they even say pleasant, you know, when it comes to the, you know, the supernatural, like. The word pleasant doesn't come up, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, we were doing this paranormal investigation and I was pleasantly surprised. (laughs) They recorded a bunch of EVPs and so they cleaned them up and, and we'll do a link to it where you can listen to the EVPs themselves. But like in the fire museum, they get a breathy hello in there so she sets the audio recorder down this is vicky she's in the fire museum she's like hey i'm you know i'm gonna uh i'm gonna go downstairs real quick and and leave the recorder here and then she walks away and you hear like a hello that's the evp i'm imitating it right there hello (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine if somebody like somebody's act like a paranormal convention was evp like you know like an actor like how oh yeah yeah like how rich little was like a (laughs) A mimic, you know, he'd mimic yeah. people's voices yeah. and stuff. Impersonator. Yeah, he's an EVP impersonator. So I'm, you might have you might have just hit on something <laughs> big here. Future yeah. career. It's, you know, I'm Be- just saying there's opportunities out there. Yeah. Because like e- being an EVP person wouldn't even be that hard of a job. You just have to be like this. Like, okay, now I'm gonna do an imitation of the ghost at the Milwaukee Pub Museum. Or like, (laughs) and then did you hear it? It just said, "I'm here to get you." (laughs) Right? Didn't you tell? It just said, "Get out." (laughs) Okay, Vicky's also. She's at a mass grave in the fire cemetery. There's a whisper that says, "I assumed you'd come here." Okay, that's creepy. Yeah. So, and then she's like, "Hey," she tells the Barry that they have not been forgotten. I assumed you'd come here. 
the, uh, the she also say what assuming does. You know? <laughs> She's like, we will not forget you, but just remember, assuming yeah. <laughs> makes an ass out of you and me. <laughs> Come on here. <laughs> and then she's sitting by the river and a strange hissing sound happens. And then a voice identifies herself and says, I'm Rachel. Hmm. Yeah. And that's the ghost of Jennifer Aniston. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking is next time we invite Vicky along with us. Cause that's pretty good. That's a pretty good hit rate for yeah. EVPs. I mean, we haven't had as much luck with our Mm-mm. attempts at EVPs. No, EVPs and also. If there's over a thousand people that died tragically in a like horrific manner in that area, maybe there's a better chance of catching one there. It does seem to be the place where EVPs might happen. And so they did find a few things in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. So the great Peshtigo Fire Museum has got some hauntings associated with it. So you guys go visit it. Remember uh, the victims of that horrible event. And then see if you can get a couple of EVPs yourself and share them with us yes please do if you do that you tweet us at other side talk uh, with your evps and then we will share them with the world but like i said we're talking about the great chicago fire great peshtigo fire we have the science fiction angle with the uh, asteroids we have the ghost angle with the ghosts of the chicago fire and then we also have the miracle angle Ooh. So we talked before about the apparitions of the Virgin Mary that people have seen and how the Virgin Mary's appeared to people and like they had three big mysteries for the children of Fatima. Um, you know, they, the Virgin Mary appeared to, you know, one woman and told her about like World War I happening and stuff like that. And so they have these miracles where the Virgin Mary appears. And it's like, pray for the world. You have to get this message out to the world. Well, that also happened to a woman who lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin. She wasn't born in Green Bay. Adele Brees was a Belgian woman uh, who saw the Virgin Mary in 1859, became a nun, and eventually came over to uh, the United States and lived near Green Bay in like a nunnery and a convent and a church kind of thing. And so she's there. We talk about her because that's the only place in the United States that the Catholic Church has said, like, yeah, it was a real deal apparition of the Virgin Mary. You know, so we talked about it in the episode on, on Marian apparitions. Right, right. But October 8th, 1871, the firestorm's engulfing all the towns around there. People are dying. Uh, it's Everybody's terrified. Adele is in her chapel praying, and she will, refuses to leave the church. She's like, we, we're not leaving here. That's it. We're not running away. It's not going to burn. We're going to pray to the Virgin Mary for help. And what happens is the surrounding land is all destroyed, but the chapel and the grounds of the chapel and all the people who are there are completely unharmed. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Right. So, I mean. So it's almost as if someone said hello from the other side it, to Adele. No, oh gosh. <laughs> hey. Hey. Sorry, I couldn't resist. That's okay. But 1.2 million acres burned. This is the worst fire disaster in U.S. history. It may be the worst natural disaster in U.S. history, too. I'm pretty sure if it's the the 2,500-person number that died, and that's the worst natural disaster in United States history happened in Peshtigo. And Adele's there praying, and the chapel comes through fine. People, you know, that... They were supposed to leave, and she's like, I'm not going to do it. And so that's one of the reasons that the Catholic Church said that it was a real apparition of the Virgin Mary that Adele saw because she was blessed then by the Virgin Mary and was able to pray to her and save everybody's life. So these fires have like three different weird paranormal things associated with them, and that's probably why I think that the great fires of 1871 are, are so interesting I mean, oh, absolutely. Obviously, extraordinarily sad. But where else are you going to get? Like, because there's people who believe in the Virgin Mary. There's people who believe in, I mean, everybody believes in asteroids, most people, maybe not flat earth people. And (laughs) there's people that believe in ghosts. And there's something for all of them in 1871. All we need is to incorporate Bigfoot into this somehow. That'd be awesome. Like they found a, like they found a charred corpse of Bigfoot. That would make this perfect. 
or he was walking around flicking a bick and uh, got out of his hands. And <laughs> right, and that story is amazing. Not only because it's just amazing, but also Chicago has a very, very, very similar story. It does okay. not have the endorsement of the Catholic Church, but it is Holy Family Church on the, the southwest side, not too far from Hull House, which another very famously haunted place in Chicago. But where uh, Father Damon, who Damon Avenue is named after, uh, they, they were completely in the line of fire, quite literally in this case. And uh, they prayed to Our Lady of Perpetual Hope and prayed and prayed and prayed. And the same thing, the, the fire went around it. The building was untouched. The, uh, the grounds were untouched. Uh, people inside the building were safe. And they, at least within the parish, they viewed it as a miracle. A really cool other thing associated with both this church and the Great Fire is that the two altar boys that worked there, they, you know, you guys just did an episode pretty recently on doppelgangers. Yeah. Their doppelgangers were seen throughout the city in the days leading up to the Chicago Fire, warning people of an impending disaster. Oh. So here's a positive story about doppelgangers, not just, you know, if you see it, you'll die. But uh, this one's giving a, a, a warning that something is coming. And so uh, if you go there to this day, there are still, that used to be candles. Now it's electric candles, electric light. They have got seven uh, candles constantly lit ever since the Great Chicago Fire uh, at the statue of Our Lady of Perpetual Hope. And there are also statues of these altar boys as part of their big altar. And an- another interesting thing is this is a, obviously, this is, everybody always thinks about the Chicago Water Tower being the only building that survived the, the Great Fire. Uh, there's a couple, not very many, but this obviously is one of them. Very old building, and it found itself uh, crumbling, as you would imagine, <laughs> a very, very old building doing. Right. And a, a crack formed and started to just come down the wall. And, of course, people were really nervous. Is this building going to be structurally not sound? Is it going to collapse? They put the statue of Our Lady of Perpetual Hope in front of it or underneath it, and the crack came all the way down to the statue and stopped right there. And it's been over 100 years since the crack moved at all since then. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a cool story. <laughs> right. So the, the Virgin Mary is coming through in a pinch. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think the lesson of the story here, we all can see clearly if a fire is coming, you know what to do, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right. Grab the nearest woman named Mary you can find. You get in that chapel and you put your hands together and you right, pray. And pray. So, uh, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so October 8th, so uh, 1874, so we're talking about 147 years ago, which, you know, that seems like ancient history, but when you're re- reading newspaper accounts of the fire and you're reading like Ignatius Donnelly's book, you realize that these, I mean, like Mark Twain was alive and things like that, you know, this is not that far away. And even though it's only a few years after the Civil War, too. Before we get to the song for the week, we want to make sure that we thank Scott Marcus for joining us today. Thanks, Scott. And letting us know some of these great Chicago ghost stories. Scott, if people want to find more information about you and read some of your cool stories, we're going to do that. Whatsyourghoststory.com is the website, and you can also just search for me on YouTube. we got all sorts of fun stuff always coming up there. And, and I do want to say it's also a, an interesting anniversary, October 8th, because uh, it's two years ago exactly that I met Wendy for the first time at the Willowbrook Ballroom where Resurrection Mary dances. And what happened to the Willowbrook Ballroom shortly after we met? Yeah, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> well, I was going with the theme. Yeah, it burned to the ground, sadly. Yeah. So, anyway, always, always a blast, and I'm looking forward to a very fun weekend partying it up in western Minnesota, cargo style. So make sure you guys all go visit whatsyourghoststory.com and get on Scott's newsletter because it really is a lot of fun. Thank you. This is the song this week we took from uh, 1871, and it was one of the most popular songs of 1871, written by a guy named William Shakespeare Hayes. <laughs> I love that. And this is one of the few songs we could find when going back to 1871 that weren't like written in... Because di- minstrel songs were super popular after the Civil War, too. And minstrel, like, white guys would sing music, like, 
trying to sound black. And that was the, the super popular stuff like in, in the time. And William Shakespeare Harris wrote, wrote a bunch of those songs, but he also wrote a bunch of nice songs. But the thing that interests me the most is that he wrote this song in 1871 and it was popular, but it was covered like all the way up to like the 1960s by like country artists and things. That's and, cool. And so I just can't imagine like Rihanna covering like a 1940, a song written in like 1942. <laughs> well, maybe... Maybe people would... Like little Etta James, kind of, maybe? Yeah. Or, or maybe people would like re, like do a song, cover a song that was in The Wizard of Oz or something like that. Sure. But just that idea that you can hear a song from 1871, which sounds like a million years ago, and it's still like, oh, it still feels like a modern song. So when we think about these people, just because they didn't have smartphones doesn't mean that they, you know, that they, they weren't exactly the same as us. And that makes me think about this you know, the, the Great Peshtigo Fire and the Chicago Fire and, and what kind of hellish uh, experience that must have been. It just makes me realize that those people weren't that, you know, different from us at all. So we wanted to do a song from 1871. Uh, number one, because it's a cool song. Number two, uh, because it's from the year. And number three, because next time we go somewhere that has a haunting from the 1870s, we totally got to play it for them and see if we can get a better EVP. Like Vicky. Stir up some of those ghosties. Yeah, like let's like, go to the Peshtigo River and be like, all right, Rachel, this one's for you. Aww. But it would be probably better if it was for a woman named Molly because the name of the song is Molly Darling. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. So one thing we love to do is meet our Patreon community in person, particularly at paranormal conventions. And if you're going to be at the Shooting Star Paracon, we'd love to buy you a beer, hang out, and meet people in person. Wendy, where can people find more about our Patreon community? You can find more at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. You can sign up, become part of the community for as little as $3 a month. Such a bargain. Yeah. And then you can join our Hangouts, which we have monthly, which are a blast. And uh, there's all kinds of other goodies and fun things. And we have a special shout out for one of our Patreon members, Dr. Ned. Ned is at the level where he gets a shout out in every single episode. So, Doc, thank you very much for all your support. We appreciate it one bazillion percent. Thanks, Doc. And everybody out there that's a member of our Patreon community, we want to say thank you very much. Thank you. uh, For making these podcasts and videos and all the fun stuff we do possible. Uh, It really is due to people like you uh, hanging out. Now, if you are a Patreon... Please send us show ideas. Please give us comments. Let's talk more and hang out because your feedback is what makes See You on the Other Side really fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're <laughs> <laughs> <Or> like... <laughs> See you in Fargo. <laughs> <laughs>